Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Jessica, for whom relating to self is about learning about her psychology and neurology while using joy as a compass. Enjoy. Hey, Jessica, thank you for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's, you're so welcome. Um, I changed the format a bit. I used to just tell people how we met, but I got some feedback that people would like to know a bit more about who's on the podcast. So I've asked you how I could introduce you. And you said that you're a dancer, you're a consistently curious explorer, a design enthusiast, and an art and business professional. So many beautiful hats. And you're currently working on different projects across Europe, producing immersive and interactive artistic experiences, and also teaching people how to read visual art. And then also you're exploring regenerative architecture. That is such a mouthful. I know it's a consistent issue that I have where I always want to do all of the things and I can never pick one. Beautiful. Um, that is a juicy question to dive into when it comes to relating to self. Maybe we'll come back to that later. But to start, I have a very simple question that I always start with. And that is when you hear the term relating to self, what does that mean for you? What comes up? I feel like my answer is uh, potentially an obvious one, but it really boils down to um, connecting to yourself and what you really want or what brings you the most amount of joy, which is a huge motivator uh, pretty much in all of my entire life. And that's why I often wear so many hats is I want to do this and I want to do that. And it's about finding out and really following that intuition and guiding internal voice that says, this is good for you, or this is what you want, but also making sure that you are aware of maybe some of those motivations, because sometimes we as human beings are both a little bit robotic in addition to being sentient creatures, making sure that what you want is in line with your ultimate aspirations in life. Because a big part of when I think about bringing myself joy or relating to myself, I'm very, I think about psychology quite a bit both from a, a chemical standpoint, as well as a neurological and emotional standpoint, um, as that's a big part of my day, um, which we can talk about maybe in more depth a little bit down the road, because uh, it's quite deep. Beautiful. Oh, my. That is a lot of very juicy stuff, Jessica. <laughs> Awesome. I'm going to start with the one thing what, that where you started and what also resonates most with me, I think, as in that triggers my interest. You say relating to yourself is mostly about connecting to yourself to find the most joy. 
I think that is such a beautiful guiding principle. But how does that work for you in practice? Like, what, what does that look like? Oh, it's very ADD in <laughs> nature. Um, and I believe that's in large part because I do have ADHD. And so this is uh, what motivates that constant curious explorer where I have this like insatiable need to discover and try new things and push myself, get myself out of my comfort zone. Um, and I know that I may have a bit more of um, an emotional resiliency to things like fear and uncertainty because I really enjoy that. But I believe also those things can hold like those emotional reactions can hold people back. And so Typically, when I look into what brings me the most amount to joy, it's a combination to looking at anything, an experience, um, even a job, a like a friend group, um, a social environment that I might be completely unfamiliar with and know nothing about, which is usually an indication that I need to engage with it. I want to like go and explore that. Or it's something that I just instinctually am drawn to and um, and I and if you're aware of the things that really bring you joy and you're very self-aware of that, whether it's physical activity, creativity, mm-hmm. intellect, conversation, alone time, it's honing into those little emotional reactions to just sit with yourself and say, like, what makes me the most happy and then finding ways to do that. That sounds great. I'm curious if you have a process for yourself to then also eliminate what doesn't bring you joy. That's actually really important because the something that I've discovered in the past couple of years, which came about from a really intensive two year period of, of self discovery. The short story of this is that I lost myself in a relationship that was rather unhealthy. And, um, But it was two years ago last month that I uh, decided to leave that relationship. And it made me realize after that person was gone from my life, just how much I wasn't myself and I didn't really know who I was anymore. And it'd been so many years that I went through this really exciting and very tumultuous period of just trying to figure out what I liked and what made me happy and what didn't make me happy and what was good for me and what wasn't. Because when you lose yourself in a person, you stop doing things that are good for you. And what I found is I I had this saying, I think I I wrote a, a post about this a while ago, where I just basically threw out the entire rule book that I'd built because often when you get really entrenched in a relationship with another person and so much of your life is about making somebody else happy and you forgot how to make yourself happy, you end up building out this life for yourself. That's a combination of what you want, what they want, some compromises, potentially family structures. And when all of that is no longer on the table, I just sort of threw out everything for the first few months. And then I just started to experiment. So I had a couple of rules for myself where first I kind of like spent a few weeks getting my friend groups resorted, figuring out my my living situation. Thankfully, we weren't living together at the time. So it was a lot easier to sort that out. And our friends just kind of ended up picking us of our own accord. And I was just happy with the people who picked me. And I was really grateful for that. But it really came down to, I called it my summer of yes, because it was right at the beginning of the summer we broke up and I was about to move from Toronto to London. So I had these th- this three month period where I could kind of just do whatever I wanted because 
I was about to leave the country. I didn't know when I was going to go back. I had no plans to move back to Toronto anytime soon, which is where I'm from. So I kind of just went, I like YOLO'd. That was sort of my thing. I just YOLO'd all summer long. And anytime something appeared in front of me as an opportunity, I asked myself, is there anybody there that if I'm in trouble, I feel comfortable going to? So basically, is it safe? Is it something that will potentially damage my well-being financially, socially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? And have I done it before? And so long as I had somebody there and they didn't have to be a good friend, just someone that I knew was like caring and thoughtful and would help me out if I was in trouble, that it wouldn't do any long-term damage to my well-being and I hadn't done it before, I had to do it. (laughs) That was sort of the rule for myself. And I found myself in these very, I wouldn't say entirely unusual environments, whether it was going to a cacao ceremony for ecstatic dance with a group of very like entrenched new age hippies that I'd never done before, or I would work with some people from like an underground art scene, or I'd end up hanging out with a lot of people in finance. I spent like a good chunk of my time um, actually in London where, cause it's very bank centered, just hanging out with a lot of people in finance because I've been, i have been very anti-capitalist through most of my twenties. And I was like, actually, maybe I should give these people a chance <laughs> and really spend time getting to know them. And it was so fascinating, not only discovering myself through all of these different mirrors, but also just people and the world. And I'm still very much enjoying this journey. I'm still really struggling to kind of settle myself anywhere because I'm just enjoying doing this so much. And there was one other point. Oh, and the last thing is, is that I've been rebuilding that book of life that I threw out two years ago. And there's actually still quite a few things in it that had been there before. Um, I sort of like re-added them back in because there was a reason why they were there in the first place, which has both helped me find peace with that previous relationship and realizing that it wasn't all bad. And um, realizing that I actually had a lot more strength and positivity and just a lot more good points within that dynamic than I had originally thought. Because usually when you lose yourself in a relationship, the more painful part is actually realizing just how much you've lost. It's like in the first six months afterwards, you're just like, oh, my God, what happened? (laughs) Mm. Wow, that's Again, a lot of stuff to dive into, so many interesting things. The thing that fascinates me most, though, that I want to ask about is what you said about safety and the way you define safety for yourself in that summer of yes, as you called it, right? And I think it's quite different from what I would say safety looks like, because from from your story, if I understood it correctly, you kind of thought about things as in, if I have someone that I can reach out to if I'm in trouble, then that feels safe. So it's, it's less about like the safety of the thing itself, whatever you're trying, you know, going somewhere new or hanging out with new people, but more about, do I have someone who can back me up if I then feel unsafe? And that's so interesting. That feels more permissive than, than what I'm doing usually. So I'm curious, what was the navigation of your relationship with yourself like in making that decision? How did you speak to yourself? that you allowed yourself to go as far as to navigate safety in terms of there is someone else there that I can talk to when I'm in trouble? It's a learned thing that I've just found out over my lifetime. Um, And if I'm 
completely brutally honest, it's mostly just because of like trauma at the hands of other people. So I found through living in Asia and from traveling around by myself, which I have done quite extensively um, and living by myself, living with people, I've just found that I have personally always felt more comfortable when I know that there's one person from my sort of like inner community of trust that I feel like I can go to and just say like, my body's breaking down. I need a phone charger to call for a taxi. Um, can you spot me $30 just to like get home? Whatever the case may be, it's just someone who I know that there's an inter like inherent trust between us that they know I'm not trying to either screw them over and vice versa. And I can just go to them saying like, can you talk to me for a minute? Um, I need to just express this. I want to share this with you. And, and I think in large parts, because I grew up like pretty sheltered in very small towns, um, like my university town was 5,000 people. And before that, my hometown was like 16,000. And I think I've just learned, I've grown with a sense of community around me all the time. And this is something that I really crave. So, and I found when I've lived in really big cities that I don't have that. And it makes me feel very exposed and very unsafe because anywhere that I see that somebody is in trouble, either they're sick or they've been assaulted by somebody, and everyone around them ignores them, it doesn't make me feel safe because sometimes I need help too. And I try to be that person who wants to help others, but also doesn't want to be taken advantage of. So I just want to have like a person in the room when I'm doing something um, that I am not a hundred percent comfortable with. And it could be, if it's skydiving, then it's the instructor. If it's like an event, it's my friend or one of the organizers that I know that there's somebody there that I can go to that I have a previous existing relationship with in some way to someone I feel comfortable with. That's it. Yeah. I love what you say about this idea of living in smaller cities, leading to having a more organic sense of community and people looking out for each other and that kind of disappearing in cities. That's definitely mm -hmm. something I, I can relate to. But going back to your introduction, when I asked you what relating self meant to you, you said something that I also find fascinating that I would like to hear more about. You said something like humans are also robotic, not just sentient. Mm -hmm. And that's such an interesting kind of statement. What do you mean with that? And how do you relate to your own robotic being? <laughs> so I have a very deep, fascination with human behavior and psychology. And that largely is rooted in um, a lot of my own psychological conditions, because I'm quite what many people would, many doctors and clinical psychologists would call neurologically diverse. Um, I've got ADHD, I have dyslexia, which isn't tragically different. Um, but the biggest motivation to that like sentient being versus the cerebral brain or the robotic like animal brain is because I grew up with um, autism, like very, uh, these days it's considered quite mild. Uh, it's now considered taboo to say high functioning, but uh, that's how most people tend to relate to me is that I have spent the past 15 years uh, doing a combination of learning adaptive behavioral qualities for neurotypical people and um, just re essentially rewiring my own brain in order to improve my capacity for social and emotional intelligence. I know autism has many different manifestations, uh, but the way that I, I try to explain it to people so that they understand and it uh, a little bit more normalized is I call it a social and emotional learning disability. And what's really fascinating is 
uh, as I was essentially learning about human behavior, which is a very common adaptive behavioral quality that a lot of people on the autism spectrum end up doing. A lot of us end up becoming psychologists or uh, psychiatrists. I've got a couple of friends doing that. There are quite a few undiagnosed autistic people who end up in math and sciences because they're so analytical. I took a very interesting angle where I became an anthropologist um, and then ended up working in the arts, uh, mostly because I just found I preferred creating. Like I, pre like I loved learning, but then I wanted to create. And um, through all of this, I've learned how for mental health and well-being, because also a lot of girls who end up with um, autism end up developing additional psychiatric disorders such as depression, anxiety, OCD, a couple other ones that I'm frankly not super aware of. My mental health can be quite unstable either because it's just hormones or it's seasonal affective disorder, or I'm going through, like I mentioned, I've gone through trauma. So that is definitely going to affect your mental health. And so stability and being aware of what's real and what's not for my own emotions can be very confusing, both for myself and for others. So I'm, I pay a lot of attention to my physical and mental well-being and what's going on there. I pay attention to um, my own stories and my own um, internalized an um, anxious reactions. I'm going through a healing process right now, trying to uh, reconnect my heart and my brain at the moment, which uh, has not been particularly well connected, partially from the previous relationship and some events that have gone on in my past life, or pardon me, not my past life, the past few years. And it's really just taking stock of all of this and just saying to myself, is this real? Is this important? Is this something that you really need to be leaning into? Is this something that it, you can breathe through? And it's just um, like a PTSD or ang anxious reaction to something? Or is it something that you actually need to pay attention to and be more aware of? Because I definitely got like a bit of an anxious trigger. <laughs> um, and even when I'm speaking to other people, it's really important for me to be aware of this as well, because I've spent so much of my life, people just misunderstanding what I'm saying due to the way that I communicate. And particularly with women, and it's harder being a woman with autism because we are actually better at hiding it. And we also have higher expectations on us socially and emotionally. So it means that I ended up learning and being identified as autistic quite a bit earlier because it was more noticeable. But at the same time, um, I had to learn how to adapt to social cues around me a lot faster just because my friends were like, you need to do this or we're not going to hang out with you. <laughs> it, yeah, so I have to. So and knowing like when I'm speaking to people, like what they're saying, what the subtext is, I didn't really understand subtext until I was about 25. And just all of those bits, like, and just thinking about it all of the time, like relating to myself is as much a check-in with my internal organisms and my neurology as it is with the world around me. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I must say I relate to that quite a bit, not in terms of being neurodivergent. I, I identify as neurotypical. I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, whatever, but I feel this idea of having to check in with yourself what's real is definitely something that I had to learn as well. And I think for me, probably that also comes from a background of trauma, having grown up in an environment where gaslighting was quite normal. 
um, I had to relearn to listen to myself and, you know, what I wanted, what I needed, what I actually thought. That was quite a difficult process for me that took a long time as well. But it sounds so, if I, if I understood correctly, the, this robotic that you're referring to refers to maybe more the automatic behaviors that you don't really pay attention to so much. Whereas then the, the sentient human being that you have become, that you are becoming through a process of mostly learning about the world and about people and about psychology and all these things that then you would refer to as your more sentient part, your more mm -hmm. cognitive yourself, I guess. Yeah. For myself, it's kind of one in the same because ultimately what we internalize is still part of us and it like motivates our outside. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was Elon Musk that I learned this from who explained that the cerebral reptilian part of your brain is actually in charge. And it's your cognitive executive function of your brain that is essentially being directed by the cerebral and like just trying to feed it and get it what it's need, what it needs. But one of the things I learned through just learning about my own psychology and the way my brain function works is that adults with ADHD are like executive cognitive function of our brain often gets inhibited. And so you can do things to help it and you can take medication. But at the end of the day, um, my brain functions for much more pleasure seeking. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about finding joy, about checking in with yourself. Um, there's in this sort of age, we've got everyone's talking about dopamine and serotonin and all the different pleasure seeking activities we can get addicted to. So something that I tried to do quite consistently is that in the summer of yes, I basically just said like, all pleasure seeking activities are allowed for three months. And then once I leave the country, I have to rein it back in, which I did, but it was harder than I thought it was going to be because I had like almost like conditioned my brain to just do pleasure seeking all the time. And since my neurology is like more predisposed to that, that makes sense. But I've, I spend a lot of time and I did this in January doing a dopamine detox where I essentially just identified the pleasure seeking activities that might bring me joy, but aren't necessarily the most, when I say sustainable, it's like short, uh, white versus, pardon me, how am I going to say this? White sugar versus whole grains. Mm. So if you're having, like, I love to go out dancing because I did it professionally and now I still just do it for myself and I love doing it, but it's, it's a short sugar response depending on the environment versus a whole grain. Um, so I mostly go because it, like it's a creative outlet for myself, but going to like parties all the time isn't very healthy. That's like short sugar. Same thing with social media. What would the whole grain alternative be to that for you? Something like dancing. So <laughs> that's really important. Um, and it's, I put in a lot of structures in the past like year to make sure that I had that. Um, so it's time, like good quality time with good quality friends. And uh, for me, because I'm very intellectual, it's conversations like this their question they, they prompt me with excellent questions that really make me think it's learning about a topic that I really want to explore so that's and right now I'm looking into regenerative architecture it's something I've had a, a long-term interest in since I was a teenager but now it's like becoming an established industry so it's something I want to look into more um and creativity big one making stuff I have like completely redecorated my room recently and that's an outlet for myself. Um, but it's like the short 
the short-term wins and the white sugar in my social circles, it's like, is this person actually fulfilling me because I have a lack of self-worth need and they're giving me purpose? Or are they fulfilling me because they are adding to maybe my well-being from intellectual, emotional space? I've started combining a lot of my um, social activities with physical activities that I'm interested in, whether it's cycling, rock climbing, just hiking, exploring. Um, so that I can get like two at one time. And I've definitely found that it's always like the basic stuff that everyone talks about going outside, spending time with good quality friends, being active, eating well, being creative, like finding the things that interest you and just going to do them, not because they're easy and they're fun, but doing them because they um, add to your to you is really what it boils down to. They just add to you. Beautiful. I like that concept of the things that add to you are the things that you want to cultivate. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Jessica, I'm, I'm still, you know, going back to your original statement <laughs> about relating to self. There's, there's so much more there to mine. Um, you also spoke about your intuition or your guiding voice. And I would love to understand what that looks like for you and how you relate to it exactly. Because, well, From our conversation, and as you also said yourself, you're you're a very intellectual kind of person. You're clearly very intelligent and you have a really good grasp of what's going on inside of yourself and in the world. And so when then you refer to intuition or a guiding voice, which sounds a bit less factual, let's say, um, I know I use these terms and I have a very clear perspective of what those mean for me. But I'm really curious what the meaning of these terms are for you precisely. Can you do me one favor? Can you sum, say the question one more time? Because you had like the question and then the summary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So when you use the words intuition and your guiding voice, what exactly do these refer to? Hmm. So this is where logic versus emotional desire um, come into play because again, pleasure seeking brain, I have to be very aware of like, is this something that's actually good for me? Or is this just something that I want? And um, people have often called my professional experience very diverse, which is the nicest way of saying it looks just as ADD as my brain can be, because I have so many interests and I want to do so many things. And my, my thought when I was like my sort of thought process when I was younger, trying to build up my career was I wanted to have a lot of skill sets. So I tried out many different things, but I also mostly just kind of went, I'm 20, I'm 21. Like no one really cares. It doesn't really matter what I'm working on. And so um, I just went and did things that I thought were interesting and I thought were cool and, or fun. And it's taken me literally all around the world. It's taken me into some really interesting um, career opportunities, like working as an archeologist, a paleontologist, um, an English teacher, a model, um, got production management for theater, lighting design. Now I work on the business side because I've realized I'm just getting older and I need to do things that are a little bit more sustainable. Because uh, unfortunately, a lot of the things that are the most interesting and fun careers are also some of them challenging to get into. And I've actually found that um, with a little bit of logic, it can actually get, it can like support your instincts. And again, because I lost myself in that relationship, I stopped relating to myself and relating to my instincts about what was right. Because unfortunately I had to ignore my instincts 
for years in order to maintain that relationship. I was, I was deeply in love with this person, even though we were just not well suited for each other in the long run. And I have started to lean on this feeling of intuition since lockdown started, uh, since COVID began. I spent the first few months since I work in the arts and there was nothing going on, I was like, well, I've got at least six months to kill. So I just spent a lot of time uh, doing these courses, doing group activities uh, to reconnect with myself and just explore things I wanted to do. And which is how we met was one of those courses. And then after I'd sort of reconnected with that and um, I also experienced this weird phenomenon during lockdown where I have people pleasing tendencies in order for self-worth, which is something I'm still working on. And after six months of no partner, no job, and being completely disconnected from my friends physically, like physically, that people pleasing part of me became so starved and it, it kind of died. Like I remembered this week where I was like, there's nothing left and I have to figure out a way for me to make myself happy. And that was, I think, when instinct really came in to action where I started thinking like what is the world calling to me for and I truly believe in serendipity but I it only really meets you like 85% of the way that last 15% you have to make that choice and um, I really started to listen to it I believe it was in August of last year and it's guided me through like so many different strange experiences over the past year that have ultimately made me much happier it's made me much more balanced um, and you just sort of look at it and it's, it's this feeling of like, is this the right choice for me? And, and then you bring in logic and like you think about it. And it's that same sort of protocol of, is there someone there that I trust? <laughs> is this something I've never done? Is it something I want to ex explore? Is it going to hurt me in the short run or the long run? And just kind of having those like rough structures in place, sitting down, thinking it through, like whether it's looking at your work schedule, looking at your finances, looking at your rental contract, whatever those sort of constraints might be. And just saying to yourself, like, does this work? And is this something I can make it work? And it's, it's very much a yes or no sort of conversation. Cause once you do the evaluation, the best, uh, and, uh what was it metaphor or I, I can't remember what the phrase might be, but it's, it's this question of, um, you're never half pregnant. It's the yes or no. <laughs> It's like, is this something that you're going to do? Is this something that you feel like is good for you? And I've got a friend of mine who runs her own uh, like coaching sessions community. Like she's got essentially her own business and her entire business structure, she told me yesterday, is based exclusively on intuition. <clears throat> Granted, I think she's got um, extraordinarily good intuition, perception skills, and just like empathy because she has connected her friends, um, like our, our my mutual friends and myself to people that have just like blossomed into these either wonderful friendships or romantic relationships or business partnerships and it's it's really worked for her and it's something that i'm thinking of potentially learning from her as i get to know her a bit better um it doesn't always work but i think connecting to yourself and connecting to your intuition is essential if you're ever going to relate to yourself and vice versa mm -hmm. I, I really like your framework of having very simple heuristics in place to then kind of like make sense of those intuitions. You know, you have this like simple rule based structures. That's very helpful, I feel. And 
maybe I should have more of those. I feel like <laughs> my intuition is rather developed, I would say. I, I trust it most of the time because I trust myself. Um, but then sometimes I get lost in then the cognitive process, mm -hmm. the decision making, like when I feel something like this is my intuition, I want to do this or I don't want to do that. And then I try to like go there intellectually and then I start analyzing and that may sometimes take too much time. Mm -hmm. So I think having, having these heuristics in place and just like have a, a few simple questions and rules to then come to the, either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. That seems like an interesting system. Yeah. Great. There's, um, it's Ray Dahlia has talked about this and someone about six weeks ago handed me this like picture book that condensed a lot of Ray Dahlia's philosophies and his principles into like a 100 page book that was like much easier to get through because I've been told he's quite boring. Um, I don't find him that much, but he is a very successful business person. And um, I know that you and I have quite a few entrepreneurial friends and I've, star I've started applying entrepreneurial structures to a lot of my romantic relationships <laughs> a couple of years ago. It's actually been really effective if you can get people on board because sometimes just open communication for some people is difficult. But if you, I started running my life like a business, I think it was in November last year, and I'm still very much learning how to do that, but it is, it's like just getting better and better. But the biggest takeaway I've, um, from Ray Dahlia that is really important when you're thinking about your relationship, especially if you're starting a new one, or if you want to make a, a really big life change is to think about your hard constraints, which is again, like the same thing, like, does this ruin my finances, my friendship groups? Um, is this something that I, I want to potentially take a risk on. And the hard constraints, sometimes it's like, I'm on a visa, so I can't move. <laughs> or like we're in a pandemic, so I can't leave the country, or I have this much money. And then once you go and look at all of those hard constraints and just sort of, and, and the things that you truly, truly can't change, not the things that are like kind of like maybe negotiable, um, such as travel during the pandemic, because that keeps changing. But you really look at those ones and you often don't have that many if you really think down to be like, is this something that you is, is actually a hard constraint or is this something that maybe you can have a conversation with or you can move some stuff around and you can make this possible. And from there you can go, okay, what is possible? Beautiful. Yeah. I like that. I have to say that as I have grown as an entrepreneur, I have come to utilize more of those frameworks in my life, I would say as well. And that's been quite interesting, but I've never actually thought about turning my life into a business or running my life like a business. Like you just said, that's, that's an interesting question. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that one. Jessica, I have, I have one more question for you. I would love to go into art for a bit. Mm, great. <laughs> my yes, favorite because, topic. <laughs> great. So you may know that I used to be an artist. I, I used to have a career as a composer and a singer for, for about 20 years before I became an entrepreneur. And so I would say from a perspective of relating to self, how does art work for you? And I don't know actually if you, if you actually are an artist, do you produce art yourself or do you only work with like other artists? Because I would love to explore the different relating to selves that are embedded in being either a creator, a producer of art or a consumer of art, like in, in seeing art and then relating to that, like there's so much stuff happening there in ourselves. What is that like for you? So, all right, let's go for the first bit of like, do I create or do I work with? Um, it's a little bit of both because 
I learned um, pretty early on in my sort of creative career, which I didn't pursue really hard early on, um, mostly just because my father worked in theater for 42 years. He kept talking me out of the industry. Um, So he was like, you can do it, but you have to do something else at the same time. You have to go get another degree. And uh, which I still have like mixed emotions about, but I have produced, so I've done lighting design. I have like when I, I dabbled in making films when I was younger, which aren't very good. So we're never going to look at them. Um, but I also used to like mix my own music just because when I would do my own dance routines, I had to make my own music. Um, I've, I danced for like 12 years. I was like dancing professionally um, in Korea. In addition to like a couple other things I was doing there. I started modeling in art studios when I was 19 as a, like a life model, which I haven't done in a long time, primarily because of the pandemic, but I keep saying to myself every week, I should get back into it just because I miss being in the art studio. And, um, and then, then I also did modeling both for, uh, like fashion, like commercial, but then also just for creative projects and doing something that looked really interesting because I realized with my physique and my capacity to just do things with my body that other people can't do to my dance training, I can be a subject matter to make really interesting things to look at, whether it's something that people are painting or it's just the subject matter in the back of, of a photograph or, is, or in the front of the photograph. And I remember someone said to me years ago, and I always knew this, they're like, you just want to be art. And I said, yes, <laughs> I just want to be art. I have, like, I've, and creativity can come in so many different forms. Um, I've produced my own art exhibitions. I've been working with uh, an artist in Berlin for the past six months to help build this immersive interactive experiences. And now I'm actually working with somebody and we're still very much in the incubation stage about potentially creating like a YouTube series about art uh, education. So the creative process is quite different. And I have noticed as I've gotten older, I'm actually much more drawn to design rather than pure fine art. And I think that's mostly just, I'm a very utilitarian practical person. I, so I want form to follow function and like, Every day I actually find myself doing something creative, whether it's coloring in a piece of paper to wrap around my garbage can because it's ugly, to covering my work desk in like cork material because I just think it's really interesting to a project I'm now working on, uh, which is currently stalled just because the materials are expensive and I have to like wait (laughs) to save up for it, where I am, um, I will call it upcycling a piece of furniture just to make it look more interesting using cord and the cord is just like very expensive I found out um so I've stalled about 50 50 percent of the way done and I'll do that next week but like I grew up with an interior designer and a theater technician as parents um and so I'm in a constant state of needing to create spaces either or food food was a huge creative outlet for me for a super long time I I it's the people who I find work in the arts, we don't do it because we want to. We do it because we have to. It, it, we can go do something else. I kept trying other career paths and I just kept finding myself back here making stuff again. <laughs> and um, these days I'm trying to see if I can reposition myself so that I can actually start making like good money from it. Because uh, I'm kind of sick and tired of 
having a job and then doing this on the side and seeing if I can put them together. And that's why I ended up working the business side of the arts, just because so many people want to work on the front end and not many people want to work on the back end. And it just turns out that from doing many production and a lot of projects on it, I actually know how to do the back end. And those are more in demand. <laughs> I have a very interesting question for you because you said something that I, th I think is probably right. And that also was the case for me, but I'm curious about it. You said, we don't do it because we want to, we create art because we have to. And from a perspective of relating to self, this is very interesting because I always tend to think that we don't have to anything, right? We have agency, we can choose what it is we do. But I have found that over time, as I healed my traumas, I realized that the reason I was making art was basically a mechanism to heal my trauma. It was something that I did to be able to create a safe space in which I could do the things that I couldn't do in my life because of trauma. And in my case, obviously, well, being a musician and, and making music, that was basically having people sit in silence and listen to what I had created. Because part of my core trauma is that I did not feel heard. I did not feel seen. So I'm curious for you as well, like in, in relating to yourself in that way, when you describe this process as it's something I have to, have you examined that? Have you spoken to yourself about why that is that you have to do this? No. And actually that's super interesting that you bring that up. I haven't gone very deep into it. It's, I say, I say this because it's just, it's more an observation where I, keep, as I said, I keep trying to go and do something else. I try to become an archaeologist. I tried to become like a museum professional. I worked in teaching. Um, I actually tried six months in politics because I really care about social well-being. And I just, just like politics, I decided after six months, like this is just not the world for me. Um, in the culinary arts, it was kind of similar. Like I tried doing that and I just found like the work culture was super toxic. But It, it doesn't matter what I try to do that's different. I just keep finding myself back making stuff <laughs> and trying out different mediums and wanting to experiment. And I'm in this constant state of just, I will try to make anything I can get my hands on. Um, these days I'm, I'm developing an interest in ceramics um, and kind of going back to film a little bit with uh, people have been telling me for years that I should become a YouTuber and I really like writing because uh, it's this is which is a manifestation of having autism where I learn to communicate with people through writing um, as it's something I can edit so I can like make sure that I'm communicating clearly which means that I still write to this day mostly just like op-eds but when it comes to relating to myself through creativity I believe it's most it's a little bit of joy seeking um, someone has described me as aesthetically energized, which I think is very on point. I usually have a lot of color in my life at all times. I've started whenever I'm brainstorming, um, in my room or like, I, I don't even use whiteboard whiteboards anymore. I just use art supplies like oil pastels and like bright colors, because I find that when I'm using materials that bring me joy, whether it's just the association through creativity, because I'm using art supplies versus like, or it's just like the color that I'm looking at, it makes me very joyful. And I've never really put a ton of messaging into anything. It's more so I just want things to look 
appealing, have a function to it. Um, whether, and the function could be something like when you're using it itself, or it's just like you can take it apart really easily because I do move around quite a bit. But that'd be very interesting to think about and reflect on in the future and maybe do like a follow-up <laughs> with because I, I don't really know why I'm creative. I just know that it was something that I was encouraged to do from a very young age. And it has brought me into this state of flow that is so important for mental health because once I'm in it, it's you stop forgetting about what other people think and feel. It's just connecting to what you think and feel. Beautiful. And then the sharing part comes in and like, that's a little different, but, but it's, I think the times that I actually feel the most creative and the most like expressing myself is when I'm dancing. I've always had this capacity and it's one of those like gifts that you get, like a superpower is what I call it. Where when I, when there's a song that I connect to and I connect to quite a bit of music, there's, I'm not trying to tell a story. I'm actually just expressing exactly how I feel. And sometimes if there's an audience, I will try to make it look cool and interesting just because like that was part of my job for a while. But these days it's more so just like, how do I feel in this moment and how am I going to express that with my body? And I've been, and people have said to me that when I'm like truly in that state of flow where I'm completely in my own body, the way that I dance is just, it's the best. It's, I'm not looking at choreography. I'm not in my head. I'm completely in my own body. And it's how I relate to myself at the end of the day. And I can do it when I'm sad. I can do it when I'm happy. I can do it when I want to be around people. The only one downside though, is that I can't do it with people. <laughs> it's very, it's very weird. People have said to me when they watch me dance, even at a party, I'm so introverted. Like I'm so in my own world. I'm in the music. I'm in my body that you kind of almost have to tap me on the shoulder and be like, I need to talk to you. <laughs> You're not paying attention. I love that. Great. Well, it's interesting. I was going to end with saying like, great. Well, Jessica, I hope we can dance together soon. But you having just said that, I'm going to rephrase that as something like, I hope we can both dance with ourselves in the same space soon. Yeah. I would enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. And just be with yourselves and be with the music. Those are actually the best parties I've noticed it's just like when people are really there for the music and they can connect through the music versus just be there for everything else around the yeah. event. I hear you. Jessica, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm curious, is there anything you want to share with people listening to this? Like can people follow you somewhere, maybe your Instagram or do you have a newsletter or anything like that? So I'm actually between projects at the moment, which um, is a little irritating because the um, immersive interactive experiences that we were building, unfortunately, have had to been, be delayed due to COVID. And the other project I'm working on right now is like when I say incubation, I mean, like my, uh, we'll say creative partner or companion in this. We've talked about it. We've brainstormed. We've outlined it, but we haven't been able to take any action just due to uh, bandwidth issues on their end. But what I would recommend doing is following my Instagram because I'll be sharing it there. And that is a project where we will be um, essentially using publicly accessible art, primarily street art, to share knowledge about how to read visual art. And it's a combination of activities um, because me coming from the fine art world and working as a curator and as on the business side, I've discovered that there are so many people in this world who can't 
well, they think that they can't read visual art. And the reality is, is that pretty much anyone who's educated can, even those people who are uneducated can, because the internet now has allowed us to have the tools to do it. But people think that they can't do it. And um, we also, he and I have also realized that although street art is becoming a much more recognized um, form of art, it's still very, like, it's just misunderstood. And a lot of people in the world still look at it as graffiti and not necessarily good quality work. So we're going to be working on that, um, hopefully getting something out in the next month as an experiment, and I'll be sharing it there. But we don't even have a name yet. <laughs> I can't cool. even share that. Well, the good thing is that by the time people listen to this podcast, it will probably already be live. So I will make sure that we share your Instagram in the mm -hmm. notes of this podcast so people can easily find you. And yeah, well, thank you so much, Jessica. I look forward to seeing where you go next. Thank you for having me. This was great. This was so much fun. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. <laughs>